Well, thanks, Brian and worship team. I'll move this guy right here. The sermon text for this morning is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. It's on page 1143 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to see you this morning. We want to gaze upon you. Give us the attentiveness and the freedom which comes by your spirit to do so. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's, it's, it's good to be back in Los Altos. We had a great um, weekend, or week, in San Diego uh, at Midwinter Conference. I'm going to share a little bit more about that uh, as my uh, message goes on this morning. But it's good to be back. So I was thinking about this scripture. Uh, a memory from childhood came back to me. I played a lot of Little League Baseball growing up. I'm going to come down here a little bit, so don't get too scared. It's part of the exercise. I had a coach named Bill Woodard when I was about 10 or 11 years old. He was kind of a big guy, kind of imposing like little league coaches can be. And one day after practice, my dad came up to me and said, you know, Bill Woodard told me something. He said, Mike, your son never looks me in the eye when he talks to me. My dad in his gentle and encouraging way, told me that. Bill told him that. He said he encouraged me to, to look Bill in the eye next time I talked to him. So I remember going to practice, you know, the next day or whatever, and I, and I come up to Bill, and it's kind of the moment of truth. Am I going to look Bill in the eye or not? And I remember saying, I'm going to do this. Or looking him in the eye and just meeting his gaze, and his gaze meeting back with me, I saw kind of a, a glint of recognition in his eye. I kind of smiled as he looked me in the eye. And I experienced for the, uh, kind of the first time the, the power that comes with really meeting eyes with somebody. 
boldly looking into their face, experiencing the communication, the communion that happens when we meet with their gaze. So this morning, it's my hope, my prayer, that we would have the courage to meet eyes with our Heavenly Father, to experience his piercing gaze of love over and in us. We, at uh, the scripture this morning, uh, there is an invitation. The Spirit invites us um, and frees us to unveil our faces before God. Um, we can bring all of who we are before the sight of God. We're not going to turn to stone when we look into his face like some sort of Medusa myth. It's actually the reverse Medusa. The things that are stony in us will be brought to life as we look into his face. So that's my hope. Uh, as we look at this scripture passage, uh, one word really uh, struck me as I read and meditated on the word. And I'm going to use this word as kind of a launching point for the rest of the sermon. The word is, in English, in the NIV, uh, it's what's translated as um, reflect or contemplate. I think there's a note in some of the Bibles that says uh, it can be interpreted in that way. Now, the Greek word that's translated, in the NIV, it's, it's reflect, correct? Is that what it says for the NIV? In the NRSV, it's uh, as looking in a mirror. The word for this in Greek is an incredibly difficult word to pronounce. It's katoptrizomenoi. Can you spell that? That would that, be a tough one. Um, but katoptrizomenoi is the only time it appears in the New Testament. And it's a word that, that's really hard to translate because it conveys both beholding and reflecting. The root, actually, for that word, katap, is in Greek translated, it's the word for mirror. But it's the sense that we take in and then we reflect what we take in. It's, uh, I think maybe a good word to help get us uh, a handle on is maybe the word absorb. I imagine being in kind of the cold, uh, dark shadows and then seeing a nice, warm square of sunshine, putting yourself in that square of sunshine, and as the sun uh, warms you up, that, that heat gets taken into you, and, and now you're warm because of where you are. You are uh, beholding, you're taking in, but you're also reflecting that warmth that was communicated. And this is a really awesome principle, I think, when we get down into it, as we think about what this means for our lives. For the very early Christian theologians and philosophers, this idea that we are what we behold was really common. The beatific vision, they called it. The idea was uh, that the more we saw and beheld God, the more like God we would become. And the invitation for us again is that as we turn and face the Lord and truly behold him, so we turn from our ways to his ways, that we'll become like Christ. Now Paul, as we heard earlier in Exodus 34, the, the reading from earlier today, this morning, um, Paul's riffing off an Old Testament story. He's looking at it through the lens of Christ. Uh, the story is found in Exodus 34. It's Moses, is, uh, at, when he's given the law on Mount Sinai, he comes down radiating uh, the presence of the Lord, so much that the Israelites were afraid. The, uh, in, of course, Paul is saying, if this occurred just in the giving of the law, which would eventually pass away, as he says in verse 13. Paul says, imagine the transforming glory of the ministry of the Spirit 
that which the law spoke to, that which the law uh, prepared us for. So the Spirit is freeing us up to experience the glory of God as we behold it in the face of Jesus Christ. To me, this, this entire passage, and Ketop Trinamenoi, I'm not even saying it right, Ketop Trinamenoi, it begs a question from us. What are we beholding? What are we contemplating? Where's our focus? Where's our attention? Because where our focus and attention are, we're going to reflect that. Another way uh, to approach this question is to ask, what are we reflecting? What we are reflecting is just going to be a product of that which we behold. So what are, where is our focus? Where is our attention? Where is our gaze? It'd be interesting to be able to take a catalog, somehow map literally where our eyes were you know, throughout our days, and to, to figure out the percentages of where do I spend most of my time looking at? That's one interesting thing to think about. Um, as well, uh, you know, where's our attention? Because you know, there's a deeper sort of looking, uh, deeper sort of seeing than just where our eyes rest. I suspect in our culture we have a lot of looking, but not a lot of beholding. Maybe a lot of entertainment, but not a lot of contemplation. This occurred to me the other, the other night. I found myself missing those evenings when I would lay in bed and kind of wind down the day and think, pray, maybe meditate on a psalm. But I don't do that anymore. You know why? Because I have a smartphone. And I can catch up on the TV shows I want on my smartphone in bed. I don't know if anybody else does that. I know one other person else does, but... Um, Driving down, I was talking to the guys about this on our way to Midwinter Conference, and Tim Sanquist had a good little gem. He's like, yeah, those things have barbs on them. Like, That's true, they do. They are barbed. So I suspect in our culture where we have so much to look at all the time, you don't even have to be bored anymore. You can always be entertained. You know, when we're having to like wait in waiting rooms and figure out what to do with you, we never have to figure out what to do with our time because we have a world to enter in right there. And it's a shallow world. It really is. I'm scared what this is doing to me. I'm scared what this is doing to us. I, I fear that we're living just on the surface. You know, we, there's a depth of experience that we're choosing to numb ourselves to through entertainment and looking instead of beholding. We don't know how to live deeply. We don't know how to look God right in the eyes or look each other right in the eyes. So what are you beholding? Of course, the good news of the gospel is that we can go to God with an un unveiled face, an uncovered face. We don't have to hide anything. The gospel means you don't have to hide. Jesus Christ on the cross said, God is for you. The only thing that can keep you from the love of God is yourself. Paul says in the scripture that um, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's nothing too ugly that, can't, that God will see and reject. Nothing too ugly for God. It's incredibly good, good news. And when we hide, 
in reality, when we really think about it, that's just self-imposed. I, you know, the little exercise I did with the kids, I, I thought of that because, you know, Evelyn's been doing that a lot. She goes like this and says, Daddy, find me, and it's, you know, I'll kind of play along because it's actually nice to get some stuff done while she thinks she's hiding really well. <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's not hiding. I know where she is. That's the same with us. Ever since Adam and Eve, we've been trying to hide. Hide our nakedness. We can't hide from God. We can only hide from ourselves and the reality that's there. I think we fear being known. Deep down, we think if we're really known, we might be rejected. One of the best parts of midwinter for me, and it was an awesome conference, had nothing to do with midwinter. One of my good friends, uh, one of my old roommates I hadn't spoken to or seen in eight years, eight plus years, uh, I got a Facebook band evite saying, you know, come check out my band. It's playing in La Jolla. I said, La Jolla, that's San Diego, I think. Facebook message him and I give him my cell phone number. He calls me back. So some technology is good, right? <laughs> Allows people to connect. But he calls me and we decide to, um, to spend some time together. And I was surprised that he called me back. Last I had heard, he was in a really dark place. His phone had been disconnected and it was clear he didn't want to have a part in my life or uh, didn't want me to have a part in his either. Um, but we, we ended up hanging out. Ended up hearing the story of what had happened to him. Um, turned out in the years when we were roommates, a lot of the kind of stuff from his childhood had come up to, to really rear its ugly head. And he'd grown up, uh, he grew up in the military and had to move every couple years. And he said to me as we were hanging out, he said, Zach, I was afraid to be known. I didn't know who I was. I changed in every context I was. And whenever I'd get in a place where I felt like people were starting to get to know me, I had to opt out of that. I had to reject them before they could reject me. Um, The good news is that he's been in one place now, San Diego, for the last eight years. It's been an incredibly healing experience for him to be in one place and to be known. He also uh, gotten a few tattoos since I'd seen him last. They were cool, cool tattoos. Um, and one of them I noticed was on his arm. And it said, the object being considered. The object being considered. And as we were talking, he was kind of just sharing a little bit more vulnerably. He said, oh, yeah, I see this tattoo right here. So that comes from a quote that used to be on your desk. I'm like, Really? That's weird. What quote are you talking about? And it's this quote. And I encourage you to write it down if, if you want because it might be uh, better than anything I, I shared myself this morning. It's from Thomas Aquinas. I think it gets at the heart of this principle of seeing God and being seen by God. It's this. It says, um, Love is born of an earnest consideration of the object loved. I'll say that again. It's by Thomas Aquinas. Love is born of an earnest consideration of the object loved. So for Ezekiel, my friend, the object being considered, 
he was earnestly considering himself. It took a while for him to know that in earnest consideration of himself, um, that he is loved. God does love him, does not reject him. And I pray and hope that finds its home more and more in his heart. But that's true for us, too. Um, and I, I think it's actually, it needs to start with our earnest consideration of God. As we earnestly consider who God is, the God of Jesus Christ, um, we can't but fall deeply in love. As we take the time to earnestly contemplate, to behold, knowledge of that love in the face of Jesus Christ will change us, will transform us. We need to become aware of God's seeing of us. If that makes sense. And as we're seen by God, we begin to see him for who he is. And vulnerability is key here. Our degree of vulnerability before God, our transparency before God, I think directly correlates to the degree of our transformation. I think it's no coincidence then when you read about revivals and revivals taking root in a place, you know, what's the thing you always hear about happening as kind of a precursor to revival? It's confession of sin. And I know that's kind of been some abuse in that and some weird stuff in those settings in terms of people kind of manufacturing things and there's a whole history there. But, but I think there's a lot of truth in that when we come before God with all of who we are, hiding nothing, we're able to experience the depth of his forgiveness and love and grace. We began to grasp that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God except our inability to bring ourselves to him. That's transforming. There's sort of this dynamic interplay as we see God knowing he sees us and as we know that God sees us we're able to see him for who he is and that love finds a deeper and deeper root in our lives and Paul writes that this beholding reflecting reality as it occurs through the power of God's spirit because this is how this happens it's the spirit of God that does it that we are being transformed literally metamorphosized it's the same word for metamorphosis like a butterfly, uh, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that will be transformed into the likeness of God. The word for likeness is the same word where we get icon, you know, like computer icon. We'll be transformed into the image of God, which we know, uh, as we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is Christ. Christ is the image of God. So we grow in Christ-likeness as we behold God and reflect his reality. And it says, we'll grow in increasing glory, ever-increasing glory. Do you ever think of yourself as being glorious? It's a word that we might shy away from using. But the very glory of God, we participate in, we reflect, we take in. It's amazing. Um, The New Testament really does present a daunting vision that we'll become more like Christ. And as you read the New Testament, you realize that, uh, you know, it's, it's clear the community believes that this is just a given of being a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. You're, you're, you will become more like Christ. It's not like an optional add-on. It says a disciple of Christ through the power of the Spirit of God will become more 
like him, do the things that he did, even greater things than these, right? Sometimes I think we think of discipleship as a sort of, you know, added bonus or, you know, add-on, an optional box to tick, but it's not. It's the very core of what it means uh, to be a Christian. The question then is, why did this, this not happen? What keeps us from reflecting the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Because we know that it's not often reflected in the world among those other Christians and in our own lives. What keeps us from reflecting the likeness of Christ? I think it's simple. I do. Our faces are elsewhere. I think it really is that simple. As we face Christ, as we bring all of who we are to all he is, as we progress in that, um, we will reflect. It's the reality. It's, it's our posture that needs correcting. It's our orientation. I've been thinking about Psalm 27, 8. The psalmist says, Lord, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That needs to be our prayer. Your face, Lord, do I seek. And we engage in Christian disciplines like scripture study, gathering together, um, fasting, meditation. All these things are supposed to point us. In the end, when you really boil them down, what they are is they're able, uh, they help posture us, help unveil our face before God. That's, that's kind of the arrow of all Christian discipleship, that we might be uh, more vulnerable, more fully present before God, because that's where the transformation happens. It's not about working harder, you know, just trying to love others better. It's about being connected to the source of that power uh, in Jesus Christ. It's our first priority as Christians. We think about all these other things, you know, that are that kind of can occupy our, our life as Christians or as the church, but really gets down to you know, the heart of it's pursuing the presence of God. And the great thing is, uh, as we pursue that as our first priority, the other things fall into place. As we're transformed by our scene, our scene becomes transformed. Mark Laberton you guys heard of Mark Laberton? He's a pastor, uh, used to be the pastor at First Presbyterian Berkeley, and now is a professor preaching at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he uh, brought the word to us um, during our midwinter conference for, on Monday and Tuesday morning. I'm really grateful for his teaching. One of the things he shared, uh, he shared out of Psalm 8, he shared uh, that as we begin to really learn and take in that God sees us, we begin to see like God sees. The things that concern his heart begin to concern our heart. Our heart. God gazes upon the entire world, including us. He gazes upon us with love. And once we catch that vision, uh, we can't help share that lens as we look out upon the world and see need in every capacity from our neighbor to um, kind of the forgotten places of the world. Can't help but catch God's vision for those places. It's amazing how just a glimpse of Jesus can transform us. 
on the last morning of our uh, midwinter, Friday morning, a pastor from Egypt came in and shared. His name is Pastor uh, Sammy Maurice. He is in Egypt, in Cairo. Their church is located right on the, the square where you see all the riots happening right now. And it's, it's the largest Christian evangelical church in the Middle East. It's 7,000 members in Cairo, Egypt. He had some just amazing stories about what God is doing in the Middle East. One really caught me. So it's, um, it's really difficult to share the gospel in the Muslim world, in the Middle East. Um, there's just not always opportunity for it or avenue for it. It's illegal in most places. So what they've been doing is they have been praying that people would have a dream or a vision of Jesus. That's their evangelism method, praying that people would have dreams and visions of Jesus. And uh, unorthodox technique, right, for us at least, but it's been working. He said not only hundreds and thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people have been having visions and dreams of Jesus. And God is reaching out give people a glimpse of who he is. He told a touching story. They were baptizing um, a Muslim, someone who had been kind of an extremist. And he was talking to the person who was going to baptize him, uh, the, the former Muslim. And the, the former extremist uh, was sharing and, and telling a story, and the the person doing the baptizing asked him, don't you know, like, this could mean really persecution for you. This, this may even mean death for you. And um, the person responds, have you seen Jesus? Have you really seen him? The person says, well, I, it's by faith, you know, we trust in Jesus, I know him through scripture, and and the person says again, if you'd really seen Jesus, if you'd seen him, you wouldn't be asking me this question. This person had seen deeply, beheld Jesus. And I don't know what form that takes for us exactly, what it means to see Jesus. But I pray that we do that we would behold him. So I know as we behold him, we can't but help reflect his love in a world that needs it. Let's pray. Lord, help us come to you with an unveiled face. Spirit of God, give us the freedom that only you can bring to know that we can bring all of who we are, even those ugly spots, and that you'll gaze upon us in love. And as you gaze upon us, we know we'll be transformed. And as we're transformed, Jesus, I pray you'd give us your eyes for the world. Help us to be your hands and feet in those places. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.